Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. This episode, we start with a little historical background on how Sean and I began this podcast. Then we jump into something that's pretty heavy, depression, and how both of us are managing through it. Sean discusses his very personal changes that are happening, and it leads to us talking about how our egos can be hurt. And then I jump into how I'm changing my view and understanding of what income is. And Sean finishes off with describing about how income is related to value and happiness and how all of that actually is all about community. Enjoy the episode. Everyone, welcome to episode 28. Just getting right into this. Today, we wanted to start off with just a little glimpse, a historical glimpse of how Sean and I met. One of our most consistent listeners, Kathy, what's going on, Kathy, has been asking, who the hell are you guys? And it it made me think about when I was taking this writing course, they always talked about, you have to start with credibility. Like, who are you? Why should readers read what you're saying and believe what you're saying? And so maybe in that format, this historical idea of like who we are to give a little glimpse of who we are is really needed because in similar format, the audience is probably wondering, who are you guys? How did you guys meet? So I can start. I think just to, you know, it's not going to be the entire episode. So I think we want to keep this short. But for us, Sean and I, we actually are both from Michigan. And Sean actually went to high school with my brother, went to the same college as my brother. We have a lot of friends within the same circle, but we weren't exactly friends. We knew of each other, but we weren't in the same circle until we both came to LA, which is for me, I came to LA about five years ago. And Sean, you came here 12 years ago. Yeah, long time. And um, Sean went to college with one of our other mutual friends. And we all just started hanging out. And that's how we met. And then only about a year ago, Sean and I reconnected through another friend who lives in the neighborhood with Sean. What's up, Hesong? You know, we both came over to his place and we just started chatting. And that's how this show kind of came to birth (laughs) because of this one conversation that we had that was about the struggles that we're going through. And I think Sean and I at the time, we're both really grasping with this idea of what is depression? What are we supposed to be doing with our lives? What is purpose? And that half hour conversation at a friend's place gave birth to this entire show. And it was, and this show became something that we we're able to really express and have someone to talk to about what we were going through that we can't talk about every single day. And it's just someone to almost like an accountability partner in a way of checking up with our mental health. Just like you have a personal trainer for physical health, in some format, this discussion is a trainer for our mental health. And then we decided to record it because we thought maybe there are people out there who can take away something, even if it is just something to listen to and, and, and come away feeling like, oh, other people are going through the same thing as I am. 
Mm -hmm. then you understand that you are not alone. You are going through what is life. And everyone, no matter how successful they look or how fulfilled they look, they all go through something similar like this. And we're actually talking about that right before the show, how everyone's going through their own their own issues. And some people might not show it, but they might show it to someone else. They have someone else that they're talking to. Yeah. That's how this show was born. Sean, if you want to add anything else. We actually have some other lesser known connections, which is my, my wife is from Chicago. And then she grew up with George and Al. And oh, that's awesome. That's right. When James lived in New York, his roommate was Al. So yeah, that's interesting. And Mink went to Purdue too, right? Yeah, she went to Purdue too. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of friends that went to Purdue as well. That's right. From Michigan. Midwest. I mean, when you're from the Midwest, you just, you can't not be connected. That's like, yeah, it's like the Midwest thing. It's a one degree separation. Yeah. And yeah, I think what's interesting about James and I's perspectives is that on one hand, I struggle through things all the time, have bouts of depression. And I personally feel like I'm like very privileged. I have a pretty good support system of family and friends and whatnots. And even then I still struggle through it. And in many ways, in many aspects, I mean, from the outside, like there's a lot of things we can be grateful for. And yet I fail to be grateful. And a lot of it has to do with, let's just get it right into it, right? A lot of it has to do with, I think, some level of shame, guilt, or embarrassment. And I was just actually reading up on this before this call, difference between embarrassment, shame, and guilt, and how like embarrassment, it's kind of like the first level or the first step of these feelings. And then embarrassment then kind of devolves into shame and guilt, which is just more serious. I'll read it from here, actually. Right, it's on Google. Embarrassment is said to be the first trace of the emergence of self-morality, whereas shame and guilt are seen as more complex, self-conscious emotions and thus emerge later in development. And I thought it was really interesting. And I, you know, depression is such a broad word, mm -hmm. but what causes it for each of us? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What triggers it? It definitely is different for everyone. That's probably why it's so hard to deal with it individually is because if you are depressed or if you're going through high anxiety, it stems from your own story, your own process. Everything that you go through makes how you are struggling with these negative emotions very unique. And I think that's what makes it really difficult for a lot of people is because you hear about stories of how other people may have gotten out of their own depression and their journey to get out or their journey that got them into the, a depressed state and then how they got out will be very different compared to your own story. It's honestly just trial and error of what makes you feel able to like step out, step out of this cloud that you're kind of stuck in all the time. Yeah. This month, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. Oh. And I've been doing a couple interviews actually around this for the One House podcast. Nice. Interviewed a really interesting fellow Berkeley alumni yesterday. He started a company called I Am Human. Mm -hmm. So the letters I, letter M, and then human. And he's been doing this for, I think, seven or eight years now. He consults basically LinkedIn, New York Fire Departments, and just organizations on how to bring more awareness and integration of mental health into the organization. Because he was saying, you know, just having resources, right? Whether it's like 
healthcare benefits or paid leave time, right, for mental health is one thing, right? Having resources is one thing, but then actually knowing how to use the resources, what resources are available and how to build community is another. Mm. And so they'll go in and basically help people see that like everybody in this company is human or everybody in your group or in your department is a human being, right? Everybody's going through a life moment, as he calls it, whether it's a elderly parent that you have to take care of, whether it's like you're a new parent, whether it's depression, whether it's like your teenage kid is going through, is having suicidal thoughts, like all different kinds of stuff, right? Everybody's having a life moment in a different way. Mm -hmm. And how to humanize that and say, hey, this is not like separate from work. Most people like spend half their life working, right? Or half their, at least half their waking hours working. It's like in that environment, it's like, no, this is part of your life. And these people should be part of your, you should feel safe, basically. I think Servio was saying this, how like a therapist will try to tell you, like my therapist was saying, oh, like these other people also have these problems or they're also very similar to you. At first, I kind of took it the wrong way. I was like, is that a breach of like patient confidentiality, right? I mean, she didn't say anything specific, but. Hmm. But then Servi says something along the lines that like, oh, like they're just trying to make it relatable, whatever you're going through, that you're not alone in this. But it's something that's actually, like that statement's actually very interesting because sometimes like, I don't know, like you almost want to feel like you're unique. <laughs> you yeah, know? Like, yeah. Right? Like, no, only, you don't understand. Like my problem's very different. Like right. I'm very unique. Like I have a problem that nobody else has, which is why like I haven't been able to solve this. I mean, I don't know what, what level of like insanity that is, but, but I do have those thoughts. Right. And I'm, I'm sure you do as well. Like you just all the time. And so either way, there, there's a couple of things that he talked about that is really important. One is about building trust. And that's one thing I feel like we have with this podcast between you and I is we have this trust that we can talk about these things and we both have a willingness to listen. And that's the most important thing, actually. That's what he says that they built is that they inform people that like people around you are willing to listen. They're willing to be there for you. And being vulnerable is not a threat. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes you just need someone to vent to just to talk it out. It's not even looking for advice or looking for a solution. It's really letting yourself talk it out with someone and help you process whether you're an internal or external processor, this kind of discussion and talking out loud really helps. Yeah. I think that's the bulk of it. I mean, when Mink and I go through like the LMF, the licensed family marriage therapist checkups. And when I go through like my personal therapist, I started recently, as I mentioned, 95, 98% of the time I'm just talking. <laughs> and like, they kind of help you guide, sort out your thoughts and you kind of come to your own conclusions. Mm-hmm. Because you have the answer. There's no way somebody else, in my opinion, will have the answer for you, right? For your life. Like they, they don't know the full context. There's no way they could know the full context of everything that's going on. Yeah. So that's James and I in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting about therapy is if you're starting therapy for the first time, you've never done it before. I really think you have to understand that, you know, what Sean just said, he's talking 95% of the time. And at first that might feel like it's not really helping you you might feel frustrated because you think that a therapist is supposed to give you answers and tell you what you're supposed to do. 
but they don't know until you talk to them. And so you have to talk a lot and often and be vulnerable. And I think as the sessions continue, as therapists gets more insight into who you are and how you think, then later on, they might talk a little bit more, ask the right questions, give you some guidance into kind of releasing what you might already know. And I thought that was really helpful for me when I, when I was seeing a therapist for a long time. Honestly, the first like three months, I was like, this is complete bullshit. I don't know what I am doing. And it was stages of, of improvement. You know, the first three months, there wasn't really anything as helpful. And then the next three months, it was like, oh, every session I had something to take away with. Then the next quarter, it was, again, very stagnant. But all through that, it was just growing pains, building the trust, the relationship, being really vulnerable, opening up and saying things that you never even knew that you might have been thinking. I think that takes time. Yeah. I think having these conversations, recording it, sharing with people openly. The other thing is what I hope for, for anybody listening that might be going through something similar and just might be, you know, a stage in their life is that we remove the stigma of talking about it. We talked about this a little bit before we recorded, which is that there may be people out there, friends and family and people close to you that may not have the capacity to listen to us, to hear us out or for us to share some of these issues with. And, and they may not be equipped to tell us that they're not in a place to help us. Mm-hmm. And so they may be dismissive. They may be condescending. They may be many things that may make us shut down even more because we're just like, oh, I thought I could trust you to talk to you about this. But I think we have to under- have the understanding that it's like not everybody's equipped to handle these types of conversations, nor are they in a good place potentially. That doesn't mean that there aren't people out there that are willing to listen. Yeah. And just to pull on the thread a little bit more, it's that friend might be dismissive or might be giving or saying things that are kind of hurtful to you. But like the guy that Sean just mentioned earlier said, that person is also a human. They might be going through something that they don't know how to share with you and they don't want to talk about it. And so with that in mind, you can be much more understanding. Exactly. This is a heavy episode. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's been a heavy week for me. Let's bring to the present day a little bit. It's been a heavy week for me. James knows a lot about it. I've been kind of grappling with my personal emotions and journey as an entrepreneur, as a founder, and really grappling with changes in my life that I haven't, frankly, been accepting. I've just been kind of brushing it under the rug. And they've the effect of that has compounded in many ways. So to give some clear examples and some anecdotes, you know, like being a dad, that's something that I've been brushing under the rug. It's like, I'm a dad now. I'm not a 24-year-old wannabe entrepreneur uh, <laughs> trying to start a business and have all the time in the world, right? Yeah. It's like, no, I have fatherhood or parenthood responsibilities. And it was like, it was okay for me to avoid frankly, of my responsibilities for the first two years of Miles' life because he was more or less like less engaging, right? He was he was an infant. He was a baby. And now he's like a toddler and he's he's like more and more a human being. He's more interactive. He wants to talk. He wants to learn new things. And and I can't ignore my dad duties anymore, basically. Hmm. But I, I kept sweeping that under the rug. Like, no, 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 I'm invincible. 
I can be you can do it all CEO and a dad. I can do it all. Yeah. Add on like the mental health issues that creep up once in a while. Add on like the physical health issue that I recently had. It's been a real wake up call. That's like no, like Sean, you were never invincible, <laughs> <laughs> and you just need to do a better job at prioritizing the things in your life and and finding balance within that and and accepting your new reality. That like, look, being a dad is not something to be ashamed of. Not being able to work 100-hour weeks anymore because you have to go be a dad is not something I need to feel guilty or ashamed about. But I was. And I still kind of am if I don't catch myself. And all that just points to like, I have my priorities like out of whack that I didn't prioritize my health or my family. And so just been working on trying to remove the, the shame and the embarrassment of, one, I'm a dad, I'm a parent, and I don't have unlimited hours. And two, I had a recent health scare with Bell's palsy that I need to take time to rest and recover and not be ashamed of that. That's just sharing what I'm going through personally right now. I think it's a, your identity is changing. Your ego relates very closely to being able to work these hundred hours. That's true. Yeah. And because it's now shifting and that's what you took pride in, that's where you felt invincible. And then now you can't do it. And so your ego has taken a major blow. You're absolutely right. Because I, I think about things, James, like, oh, what are people going to think about me? Like, what are my fellow like MBA friends going to think? Yeah. It's like nothing. They don't yeah. think about you, Sean. Like they yeah. have their own <laughs> lives and their own worries. Nobody's thinking about you. And that's like, that's a reality. <laughs> and it's, yeah, nobody fucking cares. <laughs> and that is like either crushing or very relieving. It depends on how you take it. That's true. And it goes back to this kind of feeling of my problems are unique or my problems are my own and no one else feels like this. Like that is either very relieving or when you understand that everyone has problems and you also think that everyone is paying attention to you, but no one is in either case, it can lead down very different paths. And it's really all about your own reaction and how you control that view of how you understand it that really changes kind of the outcome. Yeah. Because either way, you're right. No one cares. No one's paying attention. They're all paying attention to their own problems and where they're each also thinking these problems are unique. And everyone is thinking that, which in a way makes everyone very human. Exactly. I think I, I went through something very similar after when I was ending kind of my startup phase life and just I was like so burnt out and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was, I was really embarrassed. I was embarrassed about not being able to work as hard. I was embarrassed about how my work, all the effort that I put into these startups ended up with nothing. I was really hoping that I was going to be some big player in the startup world where I could actually have a nice exit and that never happened. And it was a huge blow to my ego and I was embarrassed. And I think maybe that's even why I, I haven't thought about going back to work for a long time is because my self-worth was all tied to this idea of being able to have, to join a startup, take it all the way to IPO, have a good exit and do it again. Right. And after having joined multiple startups and not hitting any of those things, then all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, I'm not successful. 
I haven't done anything. And it really destroyed my ego. And I fell into this kind of spiral of being like, why am I even working? What's the point? Yeah. It's so funny. Like I laughed initially because when you hear someone else say some of these things, you're just like, wow, you really gain a different perspective. You're like, wow, that sounds so silly. Like, yeah, it's like, okay, so you IPO and you exit and then what? Yeah. And you're going to go do it all over again? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? It's like, you know, that parable um, of the, like the Mexican fisherman and the investment banker. You ever read that on like, they have it at Jimmy John's. It's a funny story. Have you ever heard of this parable? The story? No. About the Mexican fisherman and the investment banker? It sounds familiar, but I, I can't imagine it right now. I'll, I'll tell it to you guys. It's a little bit long, maybe like five minutes. So I'll just kind of paraphrase most of it. So American Investment Bank was taking a much needed vacation in a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. The boat had several large fish, fresh fish in it. Remember this now, right? Yeah. Remember this now? Yeah. That's the banker was like, wow, this is amazing. How long did it take you to catch them? Only a little while. He's like, well, the banker said, why don't you stay out longer and catch more fish? Fisherman was like, well, I have enough to support my immediate needs. The American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? Fisherman replied, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take a siesta with my wife, stroll through the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. And I have a full, busy life, senor. And the investment banker scoffed and said, I'm an Ivy League MBA and I could help you. You can spend more time fishing with the proceeds, buy bigger fish. And with the proceeds from the bigger fish, you can buy several boats. So eventually you have a whole fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to the middleman, you can sell directly to the processor. Eventually opening up your own cannery, you can control the product, processing, and distribution. Long story short, <laughs> they go through all this. It's like, how long would this take you? 15, 20 years. And the Mexican fisherman asked, but then what? The American laughed and said, the best part is when the right time comes, you would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public, become very rich, and you would make millions. And the fisherman asked, and, and then what? And the investment bank replies, then you would retire. You would move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, and stroll through the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. <laughs> <laughs> what a great story. Right? I remember first seeing this in a they have this in like every Jimmy John's. And I was just like, that's hilarious. And yet, yet, we still chase it. Yep. And it's like, I think there's nothing wrong with ambition and progress and, and whatnots, but I think these are two extremes, right? But the point of the story is like, these are two extremes. And extremes sometimes help us see and find kind of our personal middle ground for what we want in our life. You got to know what you're doing this for. What is the end outcome? And if you can get that outcome now, like in this story, if the outcome is to sleep in, fish a little, play with your kids, play guitar with your amigos, have some wine with your wife, if you can do that now, and that's all you want in life, fuck what everyone else has to say. Yeah. But that's the hard part is that everyone chases this. And the irony of this story being in Jimmy John's is that Jimmy John's is like the chasing the success. <laughs> right? It's everywhere. You cannot get away from this. And so you personally have to define what is success for you? What does being a successful life look like? What does being happy look like? Everyone's idea of it is very different. If you chase someone else's vision of success, if you chase someone else's routine for what they did for their own success or their own passions, it's not going to work for you. In the end, you're going to 
do everything and have a completely different outcome, or maybe just the same outcome as them. And then you're going to be wondering, like, this was all it was for? Like, what the hell? I already had this. Yeah. On that note, do you have any like recent updates as to what kind of outcome you would like for 2022? Any thoughts? Or I don't want to say ultimate outcome because that's like a shifting target. Mm. So here's an honest thing that I'm grappling with right now. Yeah. I am really struggling with the idea that no matter how you live your life, you need an income. You need to make money. And unless you're planning on going to live in the mountains somewhere, hunt your own food, live in like a cabin, have no electricity, pay no bills, and just live off the land. Yeah. Which sounds very difficult. I don't know if anyone's ever done that. I'm sure there are some people, right? But even then, they rely on some form of income. They might hunt their food, have pelts, and then turn that into cash and buy something else with it. That is income. And I'm really learning that I have to have something to offer to be able to make income, whether I like it or not. And the thing that I was chasing for a long, and this is, again, something ego-wise, I was chasing money. I was chasing making money. I was chasing titles. I was chasing climbing the corporate ladder. Like that's honestly, like when I really think about it, that's what I was chasing. And that's what I found as success being like um, an executive or being like a successful startup founder or member that went to IPO and, and have an exit. Like that's what I was chasing for a long time. And yeah, and I never got there, but I realized on the path there, I didn't like it. So I went to this other extreme of just quitting everything, not worrying about money, not considering at all about how much I made and really just living off of what savings I had. Yeah. And I think for this year, in the next six months, I have to really consider what is something that I could offer for some form of income, whatever that is. Yeah. In some way, it still really is chasing money, right? But the difference that I'm starting with this time is more what do I have to offer? What are some skills that I have that I could? really tap into to learn, to grow, and think of it as just, this is what I offer, and this is what I can get for it. Because before, it's all about just like thinking about the first time that I had to go look for a job, I was just thinking, man, I just want any job. I will do anything to live in New York City. Doesn't matter. So I just kind of did anything. But now that I don't want to just do anything, and I don't want to just climb corporate ladder, I'm thinking more, what are skills that I want to learn and grow with? What are things that I have and that I could refine? And I think that approach has really changed my understanding of what it means to work, what it means to have an income. And luckily, I was blessed to have two years, three years off with little to no income right? To really think about the struggle that I was going with. Like, why do I not want to, why am I afraid to go back to work? And a big part of it was like, I felt like a failure. I felt like a loser. I felt like I was not successful. I felt like everything that I did was for nothing. And I really struggled with that. It took me a long time to get over this feeling that I actually have been successful just in a very different light. I set an expectation for myself for 
what the world told me I should have expected and what I should go for. And I never questioned what it was for me, what the outcome is for me that I wanted. And I don't know what that answer is, but I'm slowly figuring out that you can't do nothing. You can't not put in the work in whatever format it is that is considered for work to understand like what it is that you want to do. You get to first figure out what is it that I maybe even don't want to do. Yeah. And I think it just took me 15 years to find out that I don't want to climb the corporate ladder just for the sake of climbing that ladder. I don't want to climb it just for salary. I don't want to climb it just for the title. I want to climb it for very different reasons. I want to be part of a company for very different things. And that's just kind of what I'm understanding right now. And yeah, maybe I do climb the ladder later on, but it will be for very different reasons. It's not just to go up the rung. It's to maybe I believe in the company really to my core, or maybe I really like what I'm doing and I'm learning a lot from what I'm doing. And those values really, that's what you have to chase. If you're really struggling with the type of work that you're doing of how you're generating income, figure out your core belief, like what you want to achieve. What does that mean for you? And I hate to say this, like, but happiness isn't, it's not found anywhere else. It really is generated by yourself. I don't know who says this, but I really think happiness is created. Just like how purpose is not found, it's built. Your own happiness is built. And you have to find out and take the steps to go in that direction. And a lot of people who might be depressed, they are depressed because you almost feel like you have no faith that you can get out of this. And you are repeating the same things. Even though you want to get out, you're stuck in the loop of doing the same thing over and over again. Because that's what feels comfortable. But you got to go towards like uncomfortable to get out of that mindset, that similar like doing the same thing every single day. You got to just make some slight changes. And it's taken me a long time. It's taken me a long time. And I wish I could move faster, but I have to go at my own pace. Other people won't understand you. A lot of people will not think that you're moving fast enough or that you're not doing anything. But you just have to trust yourself that you are doing what you need to do. Yeah. Let me clarify something though, James, from what you said. I think you, you corrected yourself rather quickly because we've been talking about this and I think you have just a very deep sense of this, which is that in this book, I'm close to finishing now, The Courage to Be Happy that you bought for me. You know, he says that happiness is a feeling of contribution that, because when you're talking about income, right? I, I think the wording that we need to, or the framing that we need to change to is that like, you're not, yes, it's about money, but it's not about money. Yeah. It's really an exchange of value, if, if anything. I mean, you exchange value every day already, but it's one way where you're exchanging your savings for someone, the value that someone else created, right? And there's no um, cycle back where someone's exchanging the value that you're creating for you know the money that they earn. And so in the book, they say, you know, all we need is a subjective sense that I am of use to someone, right? In the other words, a feeling of contribution. There's no need to look for any other basis. Try to find happiness in the feeling of contribution. Try to find joy in the feeling of contribution. We gain a true awareness that we are of use to someone through our work relationships. We gain a true awareness that we are of use to someone through our friend relationships. And if we do that, then happiness is right in front of us. And what I thought was very interesting 
was that he talks a lot about love at the end. And first off, he says, like, we had talked about this before, encouraged to be disliked, where, you know, all problems in life are interpersonal problems. They're because of other people. Even things that you think that are personal problems, they're actually still interpersonal problems. Like, I feel ashamed. <laughs> well, you feel ashamed because there's someone else, you're afraid someone else is going to judge you. Yeah. <laughs> and so on the flip side, all joy, they say, is our interpersonal joy and happiness. And one thing that really stuck with me near the end of this book is this idea of love. And love isn't our traditional idea of love, of like, oh, like I'm falling in love or like, it's something that's like a love for humanity, like a love for a fellow human being. And it's unconditional. It's just like, I respect you unconditionally as a human being, regardless if you treat me poorly or well, I respect that you're a human being and I, I love you unconditionally. And only from that state of mind can you find true happiness because then he said that you, you find happiness not because I'm happy or because you're happy, but because we as a whole are happy. Like it's, it's about us, our relationship together. And there's a lot to unpack there, but I just thought it was, it's something really interesting to think about and delve deeper into next time or in, in a later episode. But yeah, that's kind of, what I'm seeking this year, I think, is seeking more relationships like this, more community feeling, things that I feel like fuel me and, and not only fuel me, but where I have a sense of contribution, even if it's not financial. But I do think these types of feelings actually do lead to financial <laughs> results as well, because you're, right. you're building trust, you're building relationships and someone will be like, hey, I have this opportunity, which we, we've already seen all the time. We have friends reach out and say, hey, there's this opportunity. Like, are you interested? But it all starts with building community first for ourselves and, and just caring for one another. So yeah, on that note, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Thank you all for listening this week, as always. And please reach out to us if you have any questions or, or if you want to share your story. If anybody ever wants to come on the podcast, too, just let us know. <laughs> yeah. Sean, how should these people reach out to us? Man, you are, you and I are both not on social media. No, so not as much. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Oh, then maybe you can slide into James DM. What's your Twitter handle? Yeah, my Twitter handle is at JSW Park. Mine's Hey Mr. Lee. Also, JSWPark.com is my website, and I have an email there, so you can email us that way. And I think those are probably the two best formats. What's the email there? Hello at JSWPark.com. Awesome. Well, enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. We will talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.